so much of it is the question comes, is, is there too much carbs in this for me? And I guess the, the easy answer is almost always no, because that's they're already, already putting a smaller amount of that carbohydrate food on their plate because they don't think they should have enough or they should they don't think they should have too much. And so they're often not getting enough. Welcome to the Good Clean Nutrition Podcast, where healthcare professionals and health-minded consumers are provided with practical and helpful nutrition information on current and trending topics from subject matter experts. My name is Mary Purdy, and I'm an integrative eco-dietitian nutritionist based in Seattle, Washington. Our topic today is Nutrition for Optimal Athletic Performance, RD Secrets Revealed. Now, while I'm not a sports dietitian, I have worked with patients on how to tap into nutritional strategies to fuel workouts, and I've actually noticed the benefits of specific foods in my pre- and post-workout sessions, which tend to be more dance-focused, but I've always wanted to know more about this topic. So I'm thrilled to introduce our special guest today, Scott Sainert. Scott is a registered dietitian, board-certified specialist in sports dietetics, and certified strength and conditioning specialist with the National Strength and Conditioning Association. He was recruited by the Dallas Cowboys as their director of sports performance leading into the 2016 season and works closely with athletic trainers and strength and conditioning coaches in developing player-specific nutrition and recovery plans. Prior to this, he served as a board member for the Collegiate and Professional Sports Dietitians Association and was a sports dietitian at Auburn University, where he oversaw the nutrition needs of athletes of 21 varsity sports. Scott earned his BS in dietetics from Ball State University, MS in nutritional sciences from the University of Kentucky, and an MS in kinesiology from Michigan State University. Additionally, he is a founding member of the Oregon Nutrition Advisory Board. Welcome, Scott. It's so great to have you. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy this. And now the topic of using nutrition to enhance athletic performance is super interesting. Tell us what drove you to pursue sports nutrition. Well, when I got started at Ball State in my undergrad, I was a a preferred walk-on on on the football team. And so in the varsity weight room and around the strength conditioning coaches there and just found that really interesting. I found it to be a profession that I thought I would want to get into. And I started in the exercise science major there at Ball State. After my freshman year, I uh, decided division one football was not something I was exactly prepared and built for. And so I retired from football, which left me out of that varsity weight room. I would just be in the rec center doing my normal weight training and things of that nature. And so lost interest in strength conditioning, but always had an interest in health. And I loved sports and after about a year of taking core classes, I'd read an article about an NFL player preparing for the season by meeting with what they just described as a sports nutritionist. And so I just went to Google and tried to learn about how to become a sports nutritionist and fortunately was directed towards becoming a registered dietitian. And also fortunately, Ball State had a dietetics program. And so that's what sort of started my pursuit of a career in sports nutrition. Excellent. I love hearing that you retired from football in your early 20s. No big deal. (laughs) And now in your current role as the Dallas Cowboys Director of Sports Performance, which sounds very cool, uh, what's your day-to-day like? Well, it's especially here during training camp where we are right now, it's a lot of uh, a lot of food service related things. We, we serve the, the team breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack. Uh, we'll have food available for the guys uh, before and after training, uh, whether it be practice or during weight training sessions. 
And so that takes a lot because this is not our normal place of feeding the team. We're in Oxnard, California at a, at a hotel where when, when we're normally in the Dallas area in Frisco, uh, we have just a, a wonderful team of chefs and cooks that take care of our team so well there. So this is right now the day-to-day is very much food service focused, but we'll be doing some sweat testing on on uh, a dozen or so players this week. And so I work with Gatorade Sports Science Institute and kind of act as a liaison for them. And that's where that title comes in a little bit differently. Sometimes as a dietitian, I feel like, especially in our field of collegiate and professional sports dietetics, um, we can sometimes be set to only work in the world of, of food and not always outside of that, whether it be um, hydration or sleep uh, education and monitoring or other even metabolic sort of testing that can be done with players. That's where the, the, the title kind of came in to allow me to have that, that reach outside of what some might think should only be around food. Hmm. And I got to back you up there for a second. You said the words sweat testing. Talk to me. What does that mean? <laughs> Again, this is something that the, the Gatorade Sports Science Institute scientists will come in that we've partnered with them. They have a lab right across the street from our practice facility in Frisco. And so uh, for several off seasons now, they've, except for last year because of COVID, they've come in and they'll do things that we often would do. Well, they'll wait in the player to practice They'll get on the scale the way out of practice. So they'll get on the scale as they leave practice. So we know how much fluid they lose during practice. But on top of that, they'll know exactly how much fluid they're going to consume during practice through a water bottle or through breaks when they have a chance to grab a, a, a Gatorade or something like that. Uh, to even if they grab an energy bar for me during practice, they'll keep a hold of that wrapper, know the weight of that food. So they know that will contribute to their weight loss from practice. And, uh, and then they'll also do um, a sweat patch. So on their forearm, they'll have an absorbent uh, patch to be able to uh, then measure how much sodium is lost in their sweat uh, during that practice. They'll do urine-specific gravity uh, testing as well prior to practice to see how well the guys are coming into practice hydrated. And so kind of all of that gives us a nice picture of, of the individual. So we can do very individualized recommendations for fluid consumption and sodium consumption during practice. But also it gives us great ideas because some people only worry about hydration when they're in the moment of training or competition. They don't focus as much attention on hydration prior to that. And so that USG testing helps me educate the guys on how are you doing coming into practice? You do a great job drinking during, but you're coming into practice dehydrated, which already sets us behind the eight ball a little bit. So we've got to We've got to do some steps to, to prepare for practice a little bit better. Hmm, that's fascinating. So you're really coming at it from all these different angles. You're testing metabolic function. You're testing hydration. And you've got this background in kinesiology. So can you share a little bit more, first of all, about what kinesiology is for those of, you, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with it and, and how you've used your expertise in this area to support what you're doing with athletes? Well, kinesiology is sort of just simply the, the study of the movement of the body. And there are sub sort of specialties within that larger sort of category. I focused on exercise physiology. So to really understand what's going on within the different metabolic pathways during exercise, I pursued that because I just felt like it would help me as a, as a dietitian better understand the needs of the athletes that I would work with. And I felt like that's been the case when I was getting that degree in, in exercise physiology at Michigan State, I was able to work within their labs that did testing on athletes uh, at Michigan State. And I just saw the connection so 
so closely that I would hope to pursue that again. And doing that with the Dallas Cowboys and GSSI Lab has really been a wonderful bridge for me professionally and really trying to marry both that exercise physiology and dietetics like I was hoping to do, you know, 20 years ago. Hmm. And, and and so great to hear you say again that dietitians are more than just food, right? We really look at that whole picture, uh, metabolic function and um, exercise physiology and all that. So they are really lucky to have uh, such a comprehensive dietitian on staff. And tell me this, you, you worked as a sports nutritionist at Auburn University and you were working with athletes across 21 different varsity sports. So how did your recommendations change depending on the type of athlete that you were working with? That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that time of my career um, because a, a gymnast and a cross-country runner are both very different physically and, and sort of the metabolic demands that they have compared to a, an offensive lineman on the football team. But their minds work a little differently, I guess I'll put it that way. They're, uh, they're much more inquisitive at times and would and would sort of pressure me on, on more questions that they would have. Um, diving into more of the nutrition, which was a lot of fun on the educational side. You know, one of the swimmers that I worked with at, at Auburn named Andy Laser just won a medal in the recent Olympics. And wow. this that swim team was always just putting a lot of pressure. So again, it would go from uh, athletes that, that just drove the questions deeper and deeper to the athlete that just, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And, and, I, and they're both great. Uh, I love working with both of them um, because sometimes you just you just want the trust from an athlete that you're you're giving them the best advice that you possibly know to help them with their health and performance. So again, there was just that that knowledge base and, and knowledge desires that they would have. But obviously, uh, when you're working with a uh, a 300 plus pound offensive lineman for a football team compared to a 125 pound gymnast their needs. And so therefore their meal planning would vary greatly. And, uh, and again, their needs would vary just based on the grams of, of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight, let alone the absolute amount from the 700 grams of carbohydrate for the offensive football player to gosh, much less than that, uh, without doing quick math in my head for that gymnast. Mm -hmm. So it was always very uh, stimulating to really have such diversity in athletes. Yeah, I bet you have to keep such a nimble mind to to differentiate between well, what does this person need if they're about to do some heavy lifting versus what does this person need when they need to do a sprinting um, or a marathon? You know, how does that 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 vary from person to person? It must just be must keep you really on your toes and keep life super interesting. It did, it did, and you know, there's not hundreds of research across all sports and across all of their training, so there's always having to be a little bit of this is our best understanding of when you're going to do an hour of weight training, how much carbohydrate you're going to utilize and based on your body weight, you need this much versus, you know, the marathon runner or the soccer player. There's maybe a lot more research in that department. So you knew how to work with the endurance athlete um, or the soccer player, perhaps uh, a little bit more tightly in those recommendations. But yes, it was always a challenge. And tell me about this. You started mentioning carbohydrates. Uh, there's lots of different factors that are going to affect someone's needs. But in your opinion, what do you think the approximate ideal macronutrient ratio is for certain kinds of athletes? Oh, boy. Yeah, that does vary greatly. Um, and I think it, it's going to vary on where that player is within their periodization of training. So depending upon if they're in an early off-season 
we're, we're far from that now with, with uh, my team. But when we get into February and the team has just finished doing all of their competition and they're on a, on a very low training phase, their carbohydrate needs are very low to where right now we're at the highest amount of volume of training that we're going to be going through. And so we have the highest carbohydrate needs. But then even within that, those needs change for the, the kicker to the to the linebacker, to the running back, to the wide receiver. So uh, even within a sport, the, the, there's so much variation that's needed, um, let alone um, body weight and body composition goals that a player may have. Uh, that plays an, a, an effect to recommendations as well. So I w- if we're really looking at numbers, it'd probably be anywhere from two grams per kilogram to about eight grams per kilogram of body weight in American football players is what I would say, depending upon the position and the time of the year and current goals. <laughs> You're talking carbohydrate. Is that right? As opposed That's right, to yes. Yeah, got it. So yeah, it depends on on the person, on their goals, on their their position that they're playing. And what about event days versus training day? What's, what is the nutrition plan? Uh, how does it differ from event day versus a, an actual training day? And that's another set of challenges because those event days, the game day is is where the nerves are through the roof. And so many players feel like a small amount of food in their stomach just doesn't sit well and doesn't digest. And so they just don't feel well all the way through that day. So it becomes how to, how do we consume almost as much carbohydrate as we can for that person with the smallest amount of impact. So it's a lot of beverages. It's a lot of things that don't take a lot long time in the digestive tract to, to be digested and absorbed. And, uh, and so, but again, the goal is, is high carbohydrate. We do shoot for a low fiber sort of diet on a game day for those reasons. Um, the protein needs are there, but, um, but again, uh, they're not nearly as high as after several days of intense training where you have such a higher damaged muscle uh, to re- that needs that recovery. So the focus is so much on carbohydrate. The general recommendation we give is, you know, half to two thirds of your, of your meal should be carbohydrates. And we, and we normally focus on starches that aren't high fiber. Uh, so we'll use the white pastas and the white breads and the white rices on a game day versus the whole more uh, fiber rich foods. We'll have fruit and, and, and smoothies and, and those sort of things, but I'll encourage perhaps more juice than the whole fruit on those days. Again, it depends again on that individual preference. And so you just have to know your athletes to know kind of what they tolerate. And, and so you know how to help them build the right plate for themselves. Yeah, I have found even with patients of my own, before they work out, not having a huge amount of food, which most people don't want, but having a little bit of diluted juice just helps to give them even just a little bit more power for just a typical person, no no, 300-pound linebacker. Uh, but it really does help having that quickly absorbed carbohydrate. So that's great to hear you emphasize that. And what would you say is maybe one of the most frequently asked questions or questions that you are are getting from athletes and what are you telling them? Well, I think so much of it still uh, revolves around carbohydrate and the phobia that so many people have about carbohydrate and if it's going to make them fat or what's going to happen to insulin. People know something about insulin and carbohydrates, but they have no good understanding of it at all. And so, but they just hear insulin and they think it's bad out the gate. And so, so much of it is the question comes, is, is there too much carbs in this for me? And I guess the, the easy answer is almost always no, because that's they're already, already putting a smaller amount of that carbohydrate food on their plate because they don't think they should have enough or they should they don't think they should have too much. And so they're often not getting enough. And so it's it's generally the education of 
the training that you do, the competition that you do requires a great amount of carbohydrate, so much so that you could eat probably three times of what you've come to me asking about, or three times as much as what's in that bar or whatever that, that might be. And so that's probably the most common and the, and the most common response to it as well is just, we don't have enough. We can go get some more. Thank you for dispelling that carbohydrate myth as it relates to athleticism and, and workouts. I think that's really key for people to understand. And you mentioned uh, pre-workouts, uh, post-workout eating. Maybe there's even thinking about while you're working out snacks. So what are your go-to pre-workout snacks or post-workout snacks or while someone is working out snacks? And are there specific ingredients or supplements that you would co recommend consuming? Well, so again, on the, on the pre-practice, pre-competition, it is a, a carbohydrate-based focused goal. And so it always is going to depend on what the guys are, are typically comfortable with. Um, bananas are one of the most common things that people love to eat before. There's, an, I guess, emerging research. And even as I was listening to this researcher talk about some unpublished data that he's going through uh, that process now of getting it uh, published research is Keith Barr out of, out of UC Davis is the leading researcher on collagen and uh, collagen formation on ligaments and tendons. And, uh, and so obviously that's an issue for us in sports because we can have so many different um, tendon and ligament injuries within sports that we want to have the strongest possible tendons and ligaments. And he's finding in research that 15 grams of collagen uh, before focused training will help build collagen formation in those tendons and ligaments. And so when we're talking about ACL injuries and, uh, and Achilles ruptures and um, injuries that can really sideline a player for a season, if not longer, we've begun doing uh, recommendations at least of collagen supplementation before training. During is so much focused on hydration. And then if the, if the practice is going long or the competition is going long, we do try and uh, get supplemental carbohydrates in through sports drinks or through chews. And then in that post time frame, depending upon how quickly the turnaround is to the next training session, we will focus a lot on protein because that damaged muscle is really needing the protein at that time. But then again, carbohydrates are an important follow-up to that along with anti-inflammatory type foods, like fruits and vegetables. You mentioned something along the lines of chews. What are those? Yeah. So energy chews. Uh, I mean, the, the simplest form would be a, a jelly bean or a gummy bear, but sport food companies now like Gatorade will, will develop a gummy type food that's carbohydrate, but also has some electrolytes in it to help replace some of those lost electrolytes. But again, being a major source of carbohydrate to help maintain that intensity of training. Thank you. So question for our health practitioners, if someone is working with an athlete uh, or someone who works out a lot, how will they know that that person is not getting sufficient amounts of carbohydrates or other macronutrients? What are some of the symptoms they might look out for? So often it's just the the energy is not sustainable. So even if it's, um, it's, it's very easy to point to a long distance runner that is bonking well before they feel like their training uh, level should be causing them to, to run out of energy. But so often in um, in sports that do repeated movements, the hit type training, the high intensity interval type training, which is common in team sports, and, um, and certainly the 
CrossFit, uh, which is, has grown in popularity. Um, and it's, it's just that fatiguing so early in that training, um, or even comparatively to people doing the same thing. So if you have a team and, and all the linebackers together and they're all doing the exact same exercise and you've been going through all of the same training, yet you are seeing this one person tire out much quicker than everyone else. Carbohydrates is a part of the equation that we'll, we'll go down and ask questions on. We'll ask about sleep. We'll ask about hydration and how they're feeling about hydration. Carbohydrates comes into that very quickly. And so often it, we learn that they skipped breakfast that morning or they only had bacon and eggs. They didn't have any oatmeal. They didn't have any fruit. They didn't have any other types of carbohydrates. So you just see that early fatiguing is a, is a common place. I guess beyond that, the longer term is that they do not build the endurance that some of their other teammates do build again, doing the same types of training. We're built differently. So not everyone's going to progress in the exact same manner, but there should be, you know, similar progressions, uh, along a, a group of athletes, um, as they're trying to, you know, be able to repeat the sprint that they're doing or continue a further distance. Excellent. So fatiguing out too early and also just not having sustained progression as you continue to try to build endurance, just not working. And you mentioned hydration. Obviously, not everybody has a sweat testing machine nearby. So what are the recommendations around staying hydrated before, during, and after heavy workouts? That's a great question. And it's one of those things that I think there's another misconception around a lot of times. In the weight rooms across the country, you'll see people carrying around the gallon of water that they feel like that's what they've got to know that they're they're hydrated. And sometimes that's a good strategy because it prompts fluid consumption. Um, but everyone has a different sweat rate. That's why we do these testings that we're fortunately we're able to. Um, but because of that, you can't just simply say you should drink so many ounces per day because you're a woman, you're a man, you weigh this much or whatever it might be. There are general recommendations and that gets you in a ballpark, but the typical rules of thumb are, you should drink enough fluids and it doesn't have to only be water. I think water, especially for a non-competitive athlete is, is a, the, a great starting point, but certainly herbal teas play a good role. Even caffeinated drinks hydrate you some caffeine consumption stimulates urine production. So you will, um, you will urinate a little bit more than if you didn't have caffeine, but it still is a positive return on fluids, but whether it's juices, teas, water, milk, all of these fluids and then fruits and vegetables also hydrate you. So I'm getting very long in this answer, but drinking enough fluids, eating enough fluid rich foods that you need to use the bathroom every two to three hours. And when you use the bathroom, it's a pale yellow to maybe clear color is the, is the easiest way to know if you're hydrated or not. That's very helpful. And what I'm continuing to hear over and over again from you is that it is so imperative to personalize each person's needs, whether it's about fluids, macronutrients, or just general re recovery advice. So thank you for bringing that into this. And let's talk about plant-based diets because there's a huge rising in popularity of plant-based diets for health reasons, for environmental reasons. What, what are your thoughts on the body of research that's currently demonstrating the effectiveness of plant-based diets for optimal athletic performance? You know, it's been really interesting because a decade ago or so, there'd be a comparison of how well a muscle rebuilds or recovers comparing 
soy to casein to whey protein and or whey protein was always sort of the quote unquote champion of the three in helping build muscle. Um, what they've done since then, and I think that's just because of the advancement of plant-based protein powders, is their blends. It's not simply a soy protein any longer. It's now a blend with pea proteins or chickpea protein, all these different proteins that you can get from plants that do a better job matching the amino acid needs to stimulate, to maximally stimulate that protein synthesis, that muscle recovery. And more recent research is showing that these blended proteins can do as good of a job in, in stimulating that muscle protein, that muscle building as whey. And so uh, it's one of those things that we're, we're learning more of that. Now, it is still a, not a concern, but a point of education, because if, a, if an athlete becomes very plant-based focused, they're going to consume a huge amount of dietary fiber, which carries with it a, a very strong health benefit, but it also fills them up very quickly. And so they can, they can tend to lead towards inadequate energy or inadequate calorie intake over days if they're eating so much dietary fiber. So again, and that's where supplemental type foods like, like um, protein powders help out because, because it's, it's just an easier way to get in, some of these needed nutrients without having to eat three cups of lentils. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, obviously we're always looking to get more fiber into our patients' diets, um, into diets in general, but considering that that may not necessarily be optimal on the, on the field or on a event day, that's great to, to notice. And, and the thing too, that I, that I always like to emphasize is that tofu is pretty low in fiber. So not everyone likes tofu, not everyone digest as well, but it is another protein source. Are there other protein sources that are plant-based that you could see being beneficial for folks that aren't overly high in fiber besides the powders? Yeah. As you mentioned, the tofu is one that we utilize at our training facility to just provide that other option um, because it is, whether it's been through the different documentaries that some of these guys have seen on Netflix, there's a, a growing interest in that, uh, sometimes through some misinformation. But the, the wonderful part of that is that they've become more focused on eating more fruits and vegetables. I think, you know, we will um, utilize different complementary proteins through mixing beans and grains together. And I think that's always a great way. Again, I think things like the organic sport protein is a, is a really, again, convenient way. And that's sometimes an as important aspect for athletes is the convenience because the time consumed through training and, and meetings and watching film or whatever might be going on, the protein powders are, are such a convenient option for that. Yeah, they're, they're a great grab-and-go option for sure. And you mentioned that we've had some great learnings in the past 10 years around sports nutrition as it relates to plant-based diets. And, and I'm curious, where else do you think the, the field has changed um, or is different from the way that it was being looked at, say, 10 years ago? Oh, that is a very good question. I think there's such a, um, a growing interest in the, the overall health, the recovery. And so you see things like turmeric or curcumin that come through as, uh, you know, a, a common staple within Indian food, but, uh, something that athletes can try and consume more of to help with the recovery. Uh, the dietary nitrates are, are such an interesting avenue right now. Long long known to help decrease blood pressure, which is wonderful for so many people. Uh, but it also helps to, to improve all kinds of performance from aerobic to anaerobic performance. Um, 
And so again, the, the beets and the beet juices, but arugula and rhubarb are, are such rich sources uh, of dietary nitrates that, um, that some of those, again, kind of thinking on the plant-based side, um, these nutrients that uh, are providing recovery and performance benefits that just were not considered a decade ago. Excellent. Yeah. Lots of great changes. And you recently had an interview that was featured in the July issue of the Oregon Healthcare Professional Newsletter. And you were asked about the challenges that you have faced in the field of sports nutrition. And your response included helping to change behavior and culture around food. Tell us more about what that means. Sure. I think, um, I think so much around athletics that food has been a means to an end that, um, one, it can't be enjoyed and, and I, which is such a sad thing because food tastes so good, um, that it, I, I would hope that we're getting to the point and, and what I love about my chefs in, in Frisco that they can make, uh, so many different foods taste so, so good, but also be so beneficial for your health and your performance that, um, there's this, this thought that if it's good for me, it can't taste good. And so that's part of the, the, the behavior and culture change that we uh, try to do. You know, there's such easy ways I've learned from other chef dietitians over the last decade of how easily it is to incorporate mushrooms and onions into ground beef application to help um, kind of, I guess, spread out the amount of ground beef you're using, um, but then also infuse that dish with some of those nutrients that you get from those plant-based foods that um, really improve that nutrition. And it's something that I used to never tell the athletes about uh, until well after the fact. But again, I think because of some of their um, increased desire to eat fruits and vegetables, letting them know that that meatloaf is probably 50% um, vegetables and, and just how they can enjoy that in multiple different ways, but also reap the, some of the benefits that come from that, that animal protein as well. Spoken like a true dietitian, food just tastes <laughs> so good. I agree. I concur. So we've mostly focused our conversation on elite athletes, but what are some actionable tips for listeners who just have regular workouts to best fuel their fitness journey with nutrition? Sure. I think, you know, just as someone that, that has gone through some of the, that transition of, of football player to lacrosse player to uh, a, a very short stint as a triathlete and now trying to maintain just some, some fitness and health uh, moving into my forties. I think it's, again, I think for the non-elite athlete, you probably can't overdo the, the, especially the whole fruits and vegetable consumption. We could probably overdo the juice consumption, but just understanding that those fruits and vegetables play such a role in, in overall health. Uh, and again, it's going to be the recovery of your training as well. So it's not just that you may have less risk for cancer or heart disease, but that if you're doing some of this hit training that really causes a lot of muscle damage, those fruits and vegetables are going to help minimize that inflammation and help you be able to do a training session perhaps a little sooner than you otherwise would have, which allows you to reap the benefits of more frequent training. I think generally Americans probably overconsume protein, but that's one thing as, as, Active individuals get older. We know that older individuals tend to eat less protein, probably less than what they need even. And so for those that are 50, 60, 70 and older um, to try and consume quality proteins, 
um, whether it's come from animal or plants. Those are important aspects to help maintain lean body mass, which helps with balance, help minimize the risk of fractures. And so you continue that journey of fitness, um, of just enjoyment of that activity, I guess. Excellent. So you're improving your optimal performance, you are improving your health, and you're enjoying some delicious food. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. So back to the collagen for a moment, because I've been asked that question a lot, and I'm curious, how would you actually implement taking collagen before a workout or after a workout? What's your take on it? For the tendon, ligament, health, and collagen development, what the research has, has shown so far, and there's still some more to be done, is it's about 15 grams of collagen with around 50 milligrams of vitamin C because it seems to help absorb uh, help the absorption of the proline and glycine within collagen. Taking that 15 grams of collagen, 50 milligrams of vitamin C, about an hour before that training seems to do the best job building that collagen in those ligaments and tendons. Fantastic. And my final question for you is any final thoughts for athletes looking to enhance their performance with food? Well, I would start with something that um, doesn't have anything to do with food or, or a smaller impact, and that'd be sleep. Uh, I think we've, we've become such a culture that is sleep deprived and, um, and our, so much of our recovery happens during sleep. Um, our ability to train well happens because of repeated good nights of sleep. And so I think sleep is just one of those things that we, we need to continue to put an emphasis on. Um, and then I would say, which is often said for, for probably millennia is, um, stay hydrated and eat a balanced intake of food. Um, we don't need to eliminate, uh, certain things altogether just because of, uh, too much social media influence. Thank you so much for those wise words. And thank you for bringing in that whole person perspective of really honoring the lifestyle choices that people are making. And sleep just is, a, is way at the top of the list there for, for recovery. So thank you for that. It's been wonderful speaking with you today. I really enjoyed it, Mary. Thank you. Did you know that there are over 50 NCAA and professional teams providing high-quality nutrition from Orgain to their athletes? Whether you're a professional athlete or not, Orgain offers a variety of products to fuel fitness, such as their latest Orgain Sport line that includes powders for protein, recovery, and energy. Visit Orgain.com to learn more. We look forward to having you join us for future episodes of the Good Clean Nutrition Podcast, sponsored by Orgain, where we'll interview more subject matter experts on a variety of health and nutrition-focused topics. To stay up to date on the latest episodes of this podcast, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That's it for now. Bye.